And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. And of course, you are you. Hello. We have a jam-packed show lined up for you today at the bottom of this hour. We're going to get into some of the daily headlines that are going on. Uh, We're going to do something a little different here at the start of the show. I'll explain here in just a moment. Uh, Next hour, Michigan gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon will be here. And she has some momentum now. Is it enough? Given what she is up against in the time remaining before Election Day, we will get to that with her coming up in the next hour of the show. And then we will have three non-political questions. I want to start off, though, with a note I got from Michelle Golenbeck. Her family finally bit the bullet, Todd, and tried Bilt Bar. And now she's got her husband and her son asking if they can have dinner, at th- if she'll cook dinner at 3 o'clock. So they can then have their built bar desserts for dessert earlier in the day. Um, I'm going to send a box to my favorite cousin for her Christmas present because she always gets me the best gifts. And honestly, I can't think of anything more delicious to send her. This is a fairly enthusiastic Dacey in response to this product. It's transforming family calendars. It is. I mean, it's changing time. It is. I mean, it's one of the reasons for the season, for goodness sakes. All right, so if you may want to see if you can get uh, as excited about Bill Bars as Michelle is, you can get them right now uh, with a big discount. Uh, 15% off when you go to built.com. That's B U I L T for built.com for Bilt Bar. That's their website. 15% off when you use the promo code DACE. D E A C E for Bilt Bar at built.com. Promo code DACE. Best protein bar of all time. And there is no close second. So I mentioned we're going to do something a little different to start off the program today. We are going to actually begin with Theology Thursday. And I made this decision to do this after we've had some pretty heavy conversations in the opening hour of the show this week about what has happened to this country, what is happening to this country, and the beings and entities that are making it happen. And you guys have heard me use this analogy a million times over the years. But I think it is apropos yet again. When Vince Lombardi took over the Green Bay Packers, they were once a proud founding franchise of the National Football League. But when he took them over in the 1950s, they had fallen on hard times. They were one of the laughingstocks of professional sports. He walked into the locker room for his first practice, and there were men in that locker room, Forrest Gregg, Bart Starr, that would go on to become Willie Brown, household names. But nobody knew this at the time. They were nobodies. They were just, you know, a crap football team that nobody watched and cared about. They would go on to become household names, Hall of Famers, world champions, But to do it, he had to take this once proud program back to first things. He had to he had to take them back to the beginning. He had to transform the culture. It had rotted out. It had hollowed out. It was expecting to lose. 
And these were his famous first words of his first football practice to the team. He announced that he was going to burn all the film of the previous year and not watch any of it. And then he held up a football. He said, we're going to start all over again. We're going to start all over again. We're going back to the beginning here. And he held up a football and he said, here is your first practice. Men, this is a football. And he broke things down to build them back up. And what he built to this day, more than a half a century later, is still one of the greatest, most memorable franchises in American sports history, regardless of league. When we talk about America, we quote Chesterton saying things like, America is the only country that was ever founded upon a creed. Now, the spirit of the age is trying to co-opt that when he uses language like America was founded on an idea. No, it wasn't. A creed is not an idea. A creed is much more than that. I have an idea. I should pass gas. I have an idea. I should eat more spam. Who gives a rip about an idea? A creed is something much more. A creed is an affirmation and a confirmation of eternal truth. Absolute transcendent truth. That's what a creed is. It's not an idea. Ideas come and they go, Hobbes. They come and they go. And frankly, a lot of the ideas we have as a species suck. A creed calls us to better ideas, to, to, to better character, to be better versions of our current selves. What was the creed that America was founded on? Where did these creeds, or this particular creed, where did it come from? Who brought these creeds to America? I was asked a year ago to do something that I thought was way out of my comfort zone. Write a children's book. And I thought, well, you know, we've already got the Rush Revere series, and I know Rush has passed away, but there's no way to do better than he already did. This has been done many other times. What could I do that would be different? And so I, I countered to my publishing company. I'll consider it if it can be a series based on America's Christian heritage. Resetting the true origins of American history. They loved the idea and then asked, okay, where does it start? And I thought, you know, just like when does life begin? At the beginning. Everything, everything begins when? At the beginning. If we're going to do American Christian heritage, it should start when America's Christian heritage began. It should start with the pilgrims. And so over the course of the next eight months, we worked both on the text and artwork of a book that will be released on Tuesday. Why Thanksgiving? And if this is successful as a pilot, 
We will do a series of these over the years answering why. Why? Where do a lot of these traditions in our heritage, where do they come from and why? Not just where, but why? Why Thanksgiving? The, the pilgrims started Thanksgiving for the same reason that they came to America. Because they loved God. This is a history that if you are Gen X or older, you remember when the, the, the Peanuts Thanksgiving special was an hour long. The first half hour is Peppermint Patty trying to put together a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> All right. The second half hour was Charles Schultz walking you through the history of the pilgrims. They don't, they don't air that very often on American television anymore. They don't want you to know that history. Well, I aim to put it back where it belongs, front and center to the legacy of us as a people. And I thought today, before we go down the rabbit holes and into uh, the bowels of hell with the latest round of headlines, let's all take a deep breath and be reminded of what it is as conservatives we're trying to conserve, what it is as patriots that we are fighting for. Where do these values come from? Who brought them here? Let's learn this truth Again, together. America is a special place to live. We are lucky to live in a free country where many people around the world wish they could live. But why is America so special? America is special because it was the first country to be built based on what its settlers believed was right. The first settlers were called pilgrims. The pilgrims traveled to the new world to escape from people who wanted to cause them trouble just because they wanted to live for God and love him the way he alone deserves. The pilgrims were the ones who thought of the first Thanksgiving because they had so much to be thankful for in their new home. The pilgrims came to America to escape from the king of England. In their old country, they were ruled by a church and a king who had lost his way. He had forgotten about the Bible and what it teaches, that God loves us no matter who we are or how we look, and he only wants what is best for us. Just like your parents, grandparents, teachers, and others help to show you the difference between right and wrong, the Bible is God's way of doing this for us. Christians believe the Bible tells us that God loves everyone, rich or poor, boy or girl, king or regular person. He cares for everyone the same. He even sent Jesus, who was God himself, to help people and teach them to put others before themselves. Even though he was king of kings, he was not born in a fancy place. His parents, Joseph and Mary, were poor. He came to earth to save everyone, not just the rich and powerful. Because the king had so much power, he forgot about this good message of the Bible. He started acting like he was God instead. He wanted the people in England to worship him instead of God. He forgot that God didn't care about power and loved everyone the same, no matter if they were rich or poor. The pilgrims were upset that the king wanted them to worship him instead of God. They tried to tell the king the truth, that he was not a god. But instead of changing how he acted, he just got meaner and meaner. He started to punish the pilgrims for standing up for their beliefs. He even put some of them in prison. So the pilgrims had to make a difficult choice. If they stayed in England, they would be in danger. But where would they go? England had an ocean around it, so they would need a boat to escape the king. And that wasn't easy to find. The boat had to be big enough to hold over a hundred people. 
It had to be strong because sailing to faraway places was difficult back then. They knew they would face danger on the sea. They might run into storms or even pirates, but they knew that they had to leave England because staying there would be even more dangerous. It wouldn't be an easy journey. Back then, boats didn't have bathrooms or showers to keep people clean and healthy. They didn't have refrigerators to keep the food fresh and safe to eat. The pilgrims had to be smart about what they took on their journey so that everyone, even the children, would get to land safely. The trip across the sea would take 66 days. There was nowhere to stop along the way either, just water as far as the pilgrims could see. So many days without fresh food or baths, so many days to worry about storms and shipwrecks. But the pilgrims had a strong faith in God. They knew God would protect them and guide them to the new world. On September 6, 1620, over 100 pilgrims boarded the Mayflower, the boat that would be their home for the next two months. The Mayflower would take them all the way across the ocean to their new home in America. On the journey, the pilgrims were very hungry and many of them seasick. They didn't see any pirates on the trip, but they did hit a big storm that almost sank their ship. Luckily, one person had a big iron screw to save the day and keep the boat from sinking. God had protected them on their long trip and kept them safe. Two babies were even born on the way over. Finally, on November 11th, 1620, the pilgrims reached land. First, they landed in Cape Cod, but it was not the best place to settle. After a few weeks of rest, they got back on the boat and traveled to Plymouth, where they built their first settlement. But it was a lot of work. The pilgrims still had to live on the boat while they worked on building their new homes. Because it was winter, it was very cold and many people got sick. There was no medicine back then to help them get better. It took them three months until spring to build enough houses for families to finally leave the ship. Now that they had warm shelter, the pilgrims could be safer and healthier. They did it. They had made their home in the new world all on their own. But the pilgrims knew they had to write some rules for their new home so that everyone could live together in peace. They had traveled across the ocean to protect their faith, so they knew the agreement had to be made for the glory of God. They decided to call it the Mayflower Compact. They signed it so that everyone would know why they had made their dangerous journey. This agreement was the beginning of our country. The Mayflower Compact showed that people could live together in peace without a king. They could be free if they realized that God was in charge and they lived for him. These ideas inspired the colonists to write the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence later on in America's history. Without the pilgrims and what they believed in, America would never have happened. The pilgrims spent the next several months building their settlements at Plymouth. Thankfully, they made friends with the local Native American tribe that also lived in the area. Because Native Americans had lived there for a while, they knew all of the secrets and tips for growing crops and catching fish. They helped to teach the pilgrims about their new world. One of the Native Americans, Squanto, knew about Christians because they had helped to free him from slavery in the past. He also knew, therefore, how to speak the pilgrims' language, which was important for the help that they needed. The pilgrims knew that it must be a blessing from God to travel across the world and meet someone who knew about their religion and their language. In the fall, after months of building, planting, and waiting, the pilgrims finally had their first harvest. 
Thanks to the help of their new friends, it was a very large harvest with food for everyone and even more. They decided to invite Squanto and his Native American friends to this first Thanksgiving to give thanks for the blessing that God had given them. According to one of the pilgrims, William Bradford, they even had turkey. But before everyone ate, they prayed to God, thanking him for his protection and for Squanto, who had saved them from starving when they first arrived. The pilgrims continued to do well and built up their settlement, always thankful for the blessing from God they had been given. Squanto was friends with the pilgrims until the day he died, when he asked his friends to pray for him to be sent to the true God in heaven. The pilgrims learned a lot on their journey, and they can teach us a lot too. Their trip on the Mayflower taught us that God is faithful if we have the courage to do what he asks us to do. Because they trusted in him, God provided the pilgrims with safe passage and friends to help them when they were in need. And that helps us to remember that we can trust God to provide all we need when we live for him. The pilgrims also taught us to remember to celebrate God's faithfulness and kindness, to celebrate all the good things God blesses us with, because all good things come from God. These important lessons that we learn from the pilgrims are what makes America special. We can live in freedom if we live for God and remember his teachings. God loves to show us his love, and he also loves it when we show God's love to others, as the pilgrims did at the first Thanksgiving. So obviously there's more to it. I know a lot of you know the history of how they tried to take Acts 2 in the communal sharing of property and assets at a time when the church was under siege in the first century, and they tried to deploy it on a civilization level, and it didn't work, and a bunch of them died. And uh, they finally figured out uh, proto-versions of capitalism and said, tell you what, next year, uh, the, uh, the more you grow, uh, the more that you uh, contribute to the community harvest, the more land you will get the following year to farm. And lo and behold, that gave everybody an incentive to work harder. And the rest, as they say, is history. Right. There's a lot more that went on here. A lot more. But stop and think about. How much different things would be in this country. If we just knew and remembered that. The telling of the, of the founding of our country on a level that relates to a four or five-year-old. How many adults, people in prominent, powerful positions, how many of them either are completely unaware or actively rejected the simplicity of what our country was founded on and whom it was founded by. Elsewhere in the scriptures, it says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. He is, the prophet Hosea there is speaking specifically about the knowledge of God, the knowledge of their standing as a covenant of, of his covenant people throughout history. Uh, the last great king of Israel, Josiah, uh, he becomes a great king. Uh, because the the chief priest, Hilkiah, who would go on uh, to be in the line of uh, a future descendant by the name of a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, very famous prophet, one of the biggest books in the Bible, belongs to him. He's cleaning out 
God's temple one day and they have, they have so abused it and polluted it with relics and altars to demonic pagan religions. That is, Helkiah is cleaning out the temple one day. He comes upon a scroll. Uh, some Talmudic uh, traditions say that that scroll is the book of Deuteronomy. It doesn't actually say that. I don't believe in the Bible. But it would make sense if that's what it was. It just says he came upon the word of God, came upon the law. It would make sense that that's what it was because Moses makes it very clear that this is, the, uh, this is a conditional covenant. I mean, he closes his speech in Deuteronomy with, I have given you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life so that you may live in the land. Elkiah takes these words after reading them and he is, he's convicted in his heart and he takes them to a young king by the name of Josiah and says, we are in deep doo-doo as a people. And Josiah takes those words to heart. And he goes next level. A lot of the good kings of Israel would clean out the worship of false or demonic deities, but almost none of them would go next level. They'd go up to the high place where the people and the elites enjoyed their sexual licentiousness at the Asherah poles to the fertility goddess. But Josiah went there and he burned those poles to the ground. He was the last great king of ancient Israel. And he became that last great king because he became reintroduced to his legacy and heritage as a people. Now, we don't receive, as Americans, our legacy and heritage through a king. Our country formally begins with the words, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union. This is what John Adams meant when he said this constitution is meant only for a moral and religious people. Even though he didn't actually say it, he was misquoted by Dwight Eisenhower. He probably said it first. De Tocqueville, democracy in America, does not actually say America is good or is great because she is good. That doesn't actually say that. But it's true, nevertheless. Even though that's often misappropriated to De Tocqueville, it is still true. The pilgrims came here. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian religion. How do we know that? They said so. They wrote those words in the founding charter of this country, the Mayflower Compact. The first attempt at self-government on this landmass. And the inspiration for all the others that would soon follow. Now we take our history and and we use the term Puritans because that's what the pilgrims were called back then. We use terms like Puritans as put-downs and pejoratives because we are ingrates. We insult each other with our history now. Like the ingrates, ungrateful children we are. And while we are watching a Romans 1 onslaught unleashed from the black gate in our midst, it is by the Incredible grace of God that it hasn't overrun us completely yet because we deserve it too. So the question on the table here is this. 
Will you be the Josiah in your home? Will you be the Josiah in your church, in your school district, in your community, in your legislature? Or will you let the high places remain only to haunt future generations later? We have kicked the can down the road for too long. There is no more road to which to kick the can. We are at the end of the road. And as the great prophet Yogi Berra once said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. We're taking one of these forks in the road. I prefer, because it worked for almost 240 years, to take the narrow one. But this country is not going to take that road by itself. This evil isn't going to stop itself. 100 people risked their lives to travel 66 days to a new world. And many of them died. Can we get 100 people in this audience to risk being called a bad name? To risk being banned from fake book? To risk being alienated from in-laws you hate already anyway? To risk losing a job you already can't stand? Because that's what it'll take. We can have all the red tsunamis I am forecasting you want. But nothing will change unless we change it. These men and women got on that boat and they changed history. They had no idea what they were going to do, what they were going to spawn, what they were going to birth. It was more of a survival tactic more than anything else. Get as far away from the King of England and the Church of England as we possibly could get with our limited resources. Had no idea they were going to land at Massachusetts Bay and find a Native American who spoke English and knew about Christianity. What are the odds of that? Well, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I think God is waiting to make his presence strongly and affirmatively known through people like us. The question is, do we want to be those people? That's why I wrote this book for the kids. Because they haven't been polluted yet. They haven't compromised as many times as we have yet. They haven't looked the other way to just get along and continue with our complacency and comfort yet. They're still reachable. But we still need some of the adults to be reachable too. It comes out Tuesday. It's called Why Thanksgiving. Pre-orders are available at Amazon.com right now. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, I think it's important, lest these uh, pilgrims be turned into unrelatable statues, that that period of time where they escaped uh, from England, but first parked themselves in uh, the Netherlands, 
that that was not just like a couple months. They were there for years. Mm-hmm. They planted roots. They were respected. They could have chose comfort. But as with uh, their biblical brothers and sisters before them, all too often they realized that it was exile, often, often forced for their sins. But that's where the true God came back to them. And therefore they realized before those roots got planted too deeply and became sloth, that they had to go all the way. What fraction of that are we willing to do? We, we need to self-impose before it's imposed on us a level of exile from the evil before us. We need to separate ourselves for it or, and or declare war against it. It's not an option. We, we are compelled to do that as Christians. It's just that simple. And again, comes out on Tuesday. You want to get this for your household, your kids, your grandkids. You've got a daycare, a Sunday school. Why Thanksgiving pre-sales are available now over at Amazon.com. We'll get to the headlines of the day next. With the world in chaos, could be any day now, supply chain issues hit the food supply and food shortages that are unforeseen could happen here in the West as well. Are you prepared? Right now, our friends at My Patriot Supply want to make sure that you are. You can save $250 right now on their three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest food preparedness company. Each kit contains... Uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, even snacks and drinks. The full complement of 2,000 plus calories a day you need. Just in case, let's go Brandon hits the food supply as well. Food stays good for up to 20 plus years with proper storage as well. So get the peace of mind for you and everyone in your household to know you are prepared just in case that could never happen here. Happens here yet again. When you go to mypatriotsupply.com again, $250 off. Uh, That's a three month emergency food kit today at my patriotsupply.com all right let's get to some headlines first i want to talk about uh, i'm going to bring up something that we're going to talk about in the overtime today last night a non-profit group known as marco polo which was started by a one-time aide to former president trump came forward last night and released a 630 page report that it claims documents over 459 violations of state and federal laws and regulations by President Joe Biden's son and his business partners. Of course, this is we're talking about the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, they have sent this report to all 400 and th- or all 535, I should say, counting the Senate, all 535 members of Congress as well. Todd's had an opportunity to go through this report here this morning before the show. We are going to discuss his thoughts on it 
in the overtime today at blazetv.com slash dace. Again, that is blazetv.com slash dace. This report reviewed laptop, emails, videos, calendar items, photographs, phone records, financial documents, and more. Um, do you want to give us a quick take on what you read through this morning? Lots of porn, lots of drugs. It's interesting. It's itemized very well. That list of crime, the 400 some odd crimes, it is each one is itemized. So within the report, you mean within the report and it painstakingly goes through the details. And I think to sum up one thing, it, it, it's one thing if he had kind of a split personality, this grotesque lifestyle and obviously stupid to be putting it all on camera and things like that. But then when he went to be a cutthroat businessman, mm-hmm. but no, this, this guy was his entire life was as sloppy as you could possibly be. And, and this goes back. I know these, this goes back to before Obama was president of the United States. This goes back to when his father was a Senator. This could, so anybody could have intervened from a family perspective at any time, but he clearly was a mule for all the things that were to come. There, it, it, it's so ridiculous. It's so sloppy for him to be continued to allow to do this. Occam's razor kicks in. So you have some bullet points that you're going to share with us and let us discuss coming up in the overtime yes. after reviewing this document. All right. So that's today. We're going to record that right after today's live show for Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. Again, that is blazetv.com slash dace. That's where you'll be able to watch it later today. And that's where you can go right now if you want to watch it today. Go there right now. Become a Blaze TV subscriber. It's just 10 bucks a month. Just 10 bucks a month to subscribe to Blaze TV to get all kinds of exclusive content like today's overtime elsewhere we are now on a bit of a streak as the regime is attempting to prepare itself for what is coming here on november the 8th nine of the last 10 regime mainstream corporate legacy media polls have given the republicans a lead on the generic ballot nine of the last 10 by the way just for context In 1994, the polling didn't give Republicans the lead in the generic ballot when Democrats lost over 50 House seats. All right. So the one that didn't, by the way, had basically a tie. So it is clear that they are attempting to say, well, we called that one right the entire time. We didn't ruin our integrity or credibility. This is what is called a retcon in fanboy world, what they are doing right now. And, And to me... The big story is not what's going to occur on November the 8th. That's not the next big political story. I, I, I think that that is already a fait accompli. That cake's baked. I mean, we're, we're just debating how rich and creamy and what flavor of, and how thick the frosting is going to be. We're, 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 only, we're only waiting to see what the scope of November the 8th will yield. Not what the result actually is. Just the scope of said result. To me, the big story or the next big political story in America is what happens next. Because if I'm right about how you go from a red wave to a red tsunami, this is a triune event 
of uniqueness in American politics, something that's not happened before. Unprecedented rural turnout for Republicans. Now, we've seen unprecedented rural turnout for Republicans in the last couple of elections, but that's when Donald Trump was on the ballot or was in office. He's not either one of those things right now. And based on the data I've seen, I think Republicans will get the same kind of turnout with rural voters they would have gotten if he were. Number two, you're looking at record low turnout among black voters in several places. Remember, it's not about Democrats getting 90%. They're going to. It's not about the slice of the pie. It's about the size of the pie. Hillary Clinton got 90% of the black vote in Wisconsin, too. She lost because 20,000 fewer black people voted in Milwaukee County than did in 2012. That's why she lost. And number three, a record level of migration of Hispanic voters to the GOP. These three events have never occurred in American politics before. Ever. As a simultaneous convergence event. Never happened. And if they do, that is going to change the calculus next year. Now, I don't know how much, but rural MAGAs and Hispanics are voting GOP for aspirational reasons. They're not your typical Republican voter like a lot of you are. They have not been beaten into submission. They've not been zombified, Republicans. Uh, GOP brains, GOP brains, must vote GOP, save America again, not get anything done, not get anything done in return. But wasn't it great watching Lindsey Graham get to the bottom of it on Hannity tonight? They don't care about any of that. They're not watching the five. They don't care. Not into the political porn. They don't care about owning the libs. They're not here to get their clicks, yo. They don't care. Damn it, they're not sitting around the water coolers. These people are at places where they don't have water coolers. They're not sitting around contemplating, man, do you get that? Do you get see that Greta Thunberg and her hypocrisy flying around the world in her carbon-based plane? No, 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 no. They're trying to save a civilization. So what happens next year at about this time next year if it becomes apparent that that didn't work? That they got the same GOP you and I have gotten our entire lives and they have, they have essentially lulled us as sheeple into just accepting we can do no more other than brag about Greg Gutfield's late night ratings. That's the best we can hope for is that Greg Gutfeld would have better ratings than Stephen Colbert at night. And somehow we'll be comforted at night to know that our children will be under demonic Marxism because Greg Gutfeld has better late night ratings than Stephen Colbert. Don't laugh. We do. This is the, these are the things that we have allowed to become our priorities. I'm not joking. I'm rebuking you. It's the truth. This is the stuff we've gotten our jollies off of. But those MAGA Republicans that are new to this, 
They voted for Obama once or twice in 08 and 012. And then thought Trump had that a crazy enough look in his eye that maybe he really meant that drain the swamp thing. And those, those Hispanic Gen Xers and younger with families who are fully assimilated and they're going to vote GOP for the first time, they don't watch this stuff and don't care. They're trying to save a way of life. And since we know the other side's energy isn't going to dispense on its own, neither is theirs. So what happens about this time next year if it becomes apparent? Like Kevin McCarthy's already saying, we want to use impeachment as a political tool. Well, actually, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. On the other hand, what happens if they do deliver to some extent? You could be looking at a generational political paradigm shift in America. But one of those two things is going to happen. Because those groups aren't like us. This is not just another, uh, well, it's time to the white suburbanites who are pissed off about the direction of the country swing to midterm. Now, we've done all that a million times. We're, be, we're way beyond that now. That's the floor of what we're talking about now. We got through that about a month ago. We're talking realignment stuff. So what happens... If this triune convergence occurs, Todd, and creates the tsunami that I'm forecasting, and a year from now, they got nothing, or they got something. Either way, in my view, it's going to dramatically change the political landscape in America. Because if they got nothing, Trump's pushing 80 He's closer to pushing daisies than a ten year more a ten, another ten years in American politics, right? Just yes. age alone. But the question is, was he an outlier or did he spawn a movement? If they got nothing, you're going to get more DeSantis's, more Kerry Lakes. Those kinds of candidates are going to organically emerge, and they might not be white, by the way. Know what I'm saying? They might not be white. They might be Hispanic. If they did get something then you're looking at officially the end or the end is nigh for the McConnell, Paul Ryan, McCain, Romney, Republican Party as we've known it most of our lives. But I don't think there will be something in between. You don't think Mike Pence breathed new life into that way? I mean, Mike, Pen- Mike, Pence, Mike Pence yesterday pimping for Ukraine. If that's not the penciest Pence that's ever penced. I mean, is there, is there not a spirit of the age cause that Mike Pence will not simp for? Is there not one? Either in not opposing effectively, if at all, or just flat out endorsing. Mike Pence is the caricature of the flaccid, limp, emasculated, nicer than God pansy that has polluted our pulpits and political offices for a generation, which gave rise to the woke Karen because she actually has some balls. That answer your question? And then some. Yeah. What do you think? A year from now. Because we'll be heading into a presidential cycle too then. We'll be in the midst of one actually. I'm skeptical a year from now. Skeptical of what? Of it being a sustainable revolution that will take over generations. Uh, I'm praying for it, but I don't, 
I'm, I'm just so used Atlas, Occam's razor. I mentioned it already on the show. I mentioned it again, what the, the most likely outcome is that the most of these Republicans uh, think this is a moving past Trump and resetting politics. As I agree with you. That's the that. most likely scenario. I agree. But that will have cataclysmic consequences. Yes. Because those Hispanic families aren't just going to, well, I guess we don't have kids anymore. So you know what I'm saying? Yes. All the, all the reasons they voted GOP will still be in existence yes. and they will look for some other means or persons then therefore to be their proxies in which to push back against this. That will have political realignment consequences one way or the other. Which is why I said uh, earlier this week or late last week that I think this could, if they if they do that, the most likely outcome is the, the end of the Republican uh, Party. I don't... Our current paradigms, if they got us Trump, A, and B, the lesson is not to reform, but to go back. I simply think we are going to, it, where would you yet be struck? Isaiah is going to be required. We're wait, we're still too comfortable. There haven't been any consequences. Perhaps that's a consequence that's, that it's going to uh, require. The entire party, that apparatus is going to be lost. And that's the most important thing about the machinery of it. That's hard to replace. And therefore, you're going to have to walk in the wilderness for a while. What do you think, Aaron? You know, the consequences or bust thing that you coined, I can't remember what, if that was on the main show or the, over the, or the, or the overtime, Todd, a few days ago. The consequences or bust, that's secondary to, you know, right behind yeah. revival or bust. Funny thing is, the consequences cut both ways. We need those who are foisting every street of the spirit of the age upon us. We need those people held accountable. We need, there have to ha have to be consequences for them. However, if we are not the ones to bring about those consequences via political pressure or otherwise, there will be consequences for us as well, every much as bit deserved. Unjust, yes, but deserved if we don't do anything about it. Consequences are bust. Cuts both ways. One way or another, there will be consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, evoking when you're, when you're talking about Josiah, last segment, the, the wages of sin is death. We talk about that a lot. Wages, something you earn. You earn that. You also earn consequences, at least in our system of government. You earn the consequences of your inaction. When, when it was there, when there was something to be done, when you had the opportunity to do something. And this, again, whether it's us here in the cheap seats or whether it's in D.C., uh, there will be consequences one way or another. Yes. The energy that is driving the demonic left and the energy that is driving a new voting base on the right will not go away. Because the events that created that energy will continue on. Something will emerge to confront the demonic left. Something will. It might be a resurrected institution like a Republican Party or new wineskins. Something we have not previously foreseen. But that's just nature. That's going to happen one way or the other. Hour two is next.
All right, back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Totters, and all of you. Don't forget, you can let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Just email the show, steve at stevedace.com. D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Day Show on Getter, Twitter, also TikTok and Instagram. And you can find us as well on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. And then get clips of the show free to watch and free of any censorship when you head over to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show as well. Thanks to all of you that are podcast listeners. Our podcast ratings continue to soar. We thank you very much. You're a big part of the show's uh, growing uh, success and our upcoming contract extension probably wouldn't have happened without you so we owe you big time we ask one more little thing though if you don't mind uh, would you please leave us a five-star review uh, and hit subscribe or follow on the podcast platform of your choice if you have yet to do those things thanks to all of you who already have this portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at preborn who want to remind us almost one out of every five americans conceived in the last generation never had a chance to be born because of the plague of abortion on our land. But what preborn has found when they take it to the streets, they look for moms like my own, who was pregnant with me at 14, had me at the ripe old age of 15, was scared, wasn't sure she was ready to be a mom, wasn't sure she could go through with an abortion. They find mothers in crisis and their children. And what they find is when mom is confronted with the fact that what she is carrying is a child, about 80% of the time, Just hearing her baby's heartbeat is enough to convince her to keep her baby and be a mom. And so it's just not that that rate of save we're talking about for both the mom and the child here, but it's the aftercare that preborn provides as well. We're getting challenged right now in a post-row era. Do you care about these moms and these babies then if we're going to go ahead and let them be born? They do at preborn. Uh, they provide maternity care, baby clothes, diapers, car seats, counseling, and so much more. And it's all free of charge, but to keep it free, they need support from people like you. This time of year, you're looking for charitable causes to donate to. It doesn't get much better than this one. Dial pound two fifty right now and say the keyword baby to make a donation pound 250 keyword baby or you can just go online to preborn preborn.com slash steve that's preborn.com slash steve well this is one of the most important races in the country here on november the 8th and the candidate that's going to be joining us has momentum the question is is there enough time to topple someone that the democratic party has clearly put a lot of energy and insulation into protecting for not just another term as governor of michigan but future political aspirations as well tudor dixon joins us now here on the show tudor my name is steve dace i grew up in michigan it is a pleasure to have have you with us. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about you first and foremost. What is your backstory? How did you end up here? Well, my background, I, I started in manufacturing in Michigan. My family had a steel foundry, so I worked in the foundry for many years, went from steel castings to steel forgings, and then into the media, we formed a company to combat CNN 10 in our middle and high schools so that our middle and high school students would have an alternative, that they could have pro-America news, they could learn to think for themselves, learn to um, hear the, the other side of the message, and then from there moved into greater media opportunities, was able to talk to congressmen and senators. And that's when I really decided, why don't we just go forward and do this ourselves? We the people means standing up for ourselves. And that's when I decided to run for governor. 
your state, I think, has a lot of importance in this cycle. And I don't just say that because I care about it. Uh, I grew up there, uh, went to high school, uh, loosely attended college there. Uh, still have a lot of friends and family there. Still root for the teams uh, from there. But when you look at the bill that uh, the spirit of the age is trying to put into your state's constitution, which is essentially uh, just a dark convergence of both the uh, Planned Parenthood and the groomer agenda into one piece of legislation. Uh, I think it, I think there is vital strategic significance here as well. Speak to that first and foremost, if you would. Uh, well, I believe you're referring to Proposal 3, which is on the ballot that would be unlimited abortion in the state of Michigan. Now, what people need to understand is in the state of Michigan, there's already been a, a judge that's ruled in a case of abortion saying that there would not be a ban on abortion in the state of Michigan, but this takes it to a new step. This would be constitutional language that would say you don't have to have parental consent if you are a minor, you don't have to be a doctor, abortion for any reason, abortion up to the moment of birth, partial birth abortion, abortion for sex selection, anything you want. So the only place in the world that really has this type of abortion law would be China or North Korea. I don't think people in Michigan necessarily understand how extreme it is, because if you see the commercials that the Democrats are playing on it, they're saying that this is just Roe, it would just be codifying Roe in our state, which is much more extreme than Roe. So we, we need to make sure people understand that that's what they would be voting for if, if they voted for propo Proposal 3. Michigan is a lot is a, is a lot like a lot of other states in that there's about a handful of counties that are basically Berkeley County, California, and the rest of the state is Alabama. Right? And so trying to figure out how to thread that needle and turn out models in certain areas to compensate for turnout models in other areas and uh, and those sorts of things can be very complicated um, and difficult. Uh, they're made more complicated in Michigan because there has been, as I'm sure you're aware, um, and this is why you won a primary where there were like four or five candidates that all had like double digits of support at one point. There has been a long um, simmering amount of division within the right in Michigan, within uh, the grassroots, a lot of distrust going back to what happened a decade ago with the Tea Party and things of that nature. Uh, I serve on the board of an organization that I know you're aware of, Stand Up Michigan. So I've heard a lot of these stories as well. And how difficult has it been to get a united front on the right before even taking on Gretchen Whitmer? You know, obviously we had a tough primary, and I think any time you have people rising up from all different areas, actually none of them were politicians, so that was pretty cool, I think, for the state of Michigan. We had a, br a bunch of grassroots candidates coming up and saying, I really want to help the state. So that's that was a tough primary. There were uh, It was difficult to bring everybody together to pick one candidate. We were fortunate to get through the primary with quite a bit of support. And now, afterwards, you talk about groups like Stand Up Michigan. Stand Up has been amazing. They've brought a lot of people. Other candidates that ran in the primary have come to us and gone to their group and said, you know what, we want to make sure that we get Whitmer out. I think that, oddly enough, Whitmer is very unifying for Republicans in the state of Michigan. So we've been able to find those traditional Republicans and those folks that are newer to 
of the party and bring them together. And we are a very united force on things like that proposal that you were talking about. We also have another proposal on the ballot that has to do with voting rights, and that would take away voter ID. It would make it so that you don't have to have a voter ID in Michigan. It would also make it so that taxpayers have to pay every year to have absentee ballot applications go to everyone in the state. So that's unifying people to come out against that proposal. There are a lot of those really um, more of the um, more recent Republicans that have come out and said, we don't want to take any chances with mm -hmm. not having voter IDs. So bringing that ground game out has been very strong as well. We're looking in Michigan right now at a very united Republican Party, but also some folks that are joining that maybe are not so typical for Republicans either, because we are now seeing communities that are standing up against some of this, these porno pornographic books that we're seeing in schools. And that's actually, I would say some of those communities are typically Democrat communities that are coming together with Republicans right now and saying, you know what, if this is the trajectory that we're going, if we're going to risk having this smut in our schools, then we're going to vote for the candidate who is going to stand up against it and say we're going back to the basics of reading, writing, and math in our schools. Such as the viral video, and we've shown it on our show too, Tudor, the viral video at a Dearborn where you have Christian and that's one of the largest Muslim enclaves in America demographically. And so you've got a Christian community and a Muslim community there showing up at the same school board meetings, raising the same cane over the exact same, um, you know, smut as you as that as that kind of an example of what you're talking about. Exactly. And these are also folks, you know, our Muslim community is very strong. They're, they do not like the idea of having their kids being taught something that is outside of reading, writing, and math. They want the focus to be on the basics. But also, a lot of our the folks in our Muslim community are entrepreneurs. They're small business owners. In the state of Michigan, we lost more small businesses than mm -hmm. almost any other state, only tied with New York. So not only are they looking at their children, but they're looking at their livelihoods and saying, what's the Democrat Party good to us here in the state of Michigan? Are we better off now than we were four years ago under Gretchen Whitmer's reign? And that is for them, for, for most of the folks in that community, they're saying no. And they're really looking to her now and saying, are you going to stand up for our kids? And they're hearing nothing. That's to, to the community on uh, in the Muslim community, but also communities across the state, parents who are finding this stuff in their schools are saying, are you kidding me? This is, I mean, it's really disgusting. I know you have talked about it, but it's really disgusting and inappropriate to teach children these things in, in the classroom. Some feedback I've gotten about your campaign and your candidacy. One, um, uh, rave reviews about the performance in the debate last week against Gretchen Whitmer. And the, the all the data that has gone, come out since that event clearly shows you have garnered some serious momentum, for sure. There's a couple of concerns I have heard, though, as well. One, and I get this in general from my audience, so and I don't live there, so I'm not you know, any longer. So, you know, I don't get to see what's on TV all the time. I don't know what commercials are running. You know, I, you're, I'm getting I'm not getting Michigan political commercials when I'm watching my maize and blue here in Iowa. So I don't know what's on the air, but I hear frequently from Michigan uh, patriots in my audience who are like, is there even a Republican party here? I don't see ads on TV. Um, we're getting bombarded with Gretchen Whitmer propaganda. And you know, a lot of that can be anecdotal, right? And there's, and, and a lot of energy wants to be rid of her and her regime. But is there anything to that? Or, or, do you have the level of support needed, you think, to pull this off? 
I mean, you, you have to remember that this is a Democrat party that has come in hard for Gretchen Whitmer. They've already spent over $23 million in ads. And sure, we don't have that. I mean, if you look at Republicans across the country, many of them do not have $23 million on hand. So you'll see people in Michigan have seen ads from allied groups. So the Republican Governors Association has come into the state of Michigan. They are running ads now as well. But it is definitely a case of the Democrats having a significant amount of money. And yet the polling still has us very close. The latest polling that we're looking at looks incredibly good for the Republican side, for us and for folks down ticket as well. So I would like to say to those folks, you know, we are working an incredible ground game. We have a commercial up in the air, but we're out there every day. Gretchen Whitmer is not out there. She's not allowing anybody to come to her events. We go on the ground. We talk to anyone. We have Ask Me Anything town halls. We go on shows like yours. We do radio every single day. We are using every medium we can to make sure that we get our message out. And I can't say the same for Gretchen Whitmer. So she can spend $23 million on ads that come up with a lot of bogus information and try to make her look great. But it doesn't seem to be working because I think that the strength of the Republican Party right now. And those who are willing to, to come to the table, listen to radio, come to our events and see us on the air on TV are saying, you know what, we really believe that we can have our state back. I got a text. The other thing I wanted to share with you, I got a text from a good friend of mine, very, very successful attorney on the eastern side of the state lifelong Michigander. So now now he though given the side of the state he lives in, he is surrounded by uh, Whitmerites and that propaganda. So keep that in mind. But he said one thing that blew me away and I wanted he asked me if I would ask you about it. So I'm going to. He said one thing that blows me away is how many of these people act as if we were like never locked down. Like we didn't have, we didn't have one of the most, you just mentioned, I've cited that stat. I cited that stat in my best-selling book, Fauci and Bargain. How many, Michigan lost more small businesses than any state in the country other than New York. New York. And he's like, there's a lot of people over here on this side of the state. It's like, did you not endure that? Did you not live through that? Um, and, and this idea that she had an excuse for it because she was following the, what the experts told us, uh, told her to do. And, and, and he thought, and he's an attorney, so he looks at things as, uh, through the lens of breaking through in the minds of a jury with an argument. That there did seem to be still a, too many people for his liking that were trying to come up with excuses to excuse what she put your state through a couple of years ago. Well, and that's what I was pointing out in the debate. That's what our commercials are pointing out as well. And it's interesting because after pointing that out in the debate and going through all of the lockdowns and how severe they were in Michigan compared to other states, one of our local papers today came out with, well, these are the things that she was accused of, that the lockdowns were more difficult in the state of Michigan. And here's the fact check. And overwhelmingly, the fact check was yes. These lockdowns in Michigan were much worse. In fact, our students are worse off. Our businesses are worse off. We have fewer jobs. We lost 82,000 jobs. We lost 3,000 restaurants. The scores for our students testing are 
worse than probably any other state, and we're seeing a significant learning loss in the state of Michigan. We also look at just what happened with reading. Our third graders are really struggling with that critical skill of reading. We know from kindergarten to third grade, you're learning to read. From third grade on, you're reading to learn. We're, we're very concerned about what the future is for our students. We were 38th in the nation before the pandemic, and now we're headed toward the bottom five. We know that the pandemic was devastating to the state of Michigan, and we will keep pushing that in the in a moment of crisis, this is how this governor chose to handle it, and that's not what we need for another four years. Final thing I want to ask you about is a closing pitch here in these last couple of weeks, and I, I think this environment is so favorable that there is possibilities for massive swings of momentum in your favor just in these last couple of weeks. I, I'm of the opinion, and you can tell me I don't know what I'm talking about, but I am of the opinion that the economic message has already resonated. That's why candidates like you have a chance to pull something like this off. People are already feeling that organically. They already recognize, maybe they, they don't know that the number's 485% because that's the actual number of how high, much higher inflation is now than it was the final month of the Trump presidency. Like they, maybe they can't quantify that percentage, but they know they're paying a hell of a lot more for everything than they were paying before, right? That, that's why right. we have this environment. And, and I think that you're, there are a couple of issues that have a chance here to put candidates like yourself over the top with a closing sale. Number one, we've already addressed it. That's the groomer situation. I, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't have a Gavin Newsom framed photo, okay, that wants their children subjected to this uh, smut and trash. I mean, I don't, regardless if they thought it was Cheeto Jesus saves, Orange Man bad, you know, I mean, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't subscribe to 1619project.com who was never voting for people like you anyway that wants their children subjected to this stuff. I, and I have said on my show, if I were, if I could sit down with every Republican operative in the country, it would be to have every single one of your candidates in a partisan election from city council to school board to governor to Congress link the Democrats with that trash in every single race. The other is something that just emerged yesterday that I saw you tweet about this morning, and that is CDC poised to try to force these jabs, which, which in the same week that JAMA publishes a study, one out of 200, one out of 500 of children that took these jabs ended up in the hospital with a serious adverse event for a virus that they were never serious victims nor vectors for, and to try to impose this on uh, people in states where that could be a condition in getting your children enrolled in school or not. These, I think, are the kinds of last minute outlier but vitally important issues that maybe could be closing sale issues for a candidate like yourself what are your thoughts Absolutely. I mean, it, we're looking at that. Obviously, we're talking to parents every day. We are going out and having parents' rights rallies. So that's top of mind for us. You saw my statement on the COVID shot that we will not be mandating those in schools. In a Dixon administration, we will put a ban on mandating COVID shots for our young students. But also, we're looking at crime. The state of Michigan has had a significant rise in crime. We're, we are looking still at the economy. People, there are jobs here. The, we've lost the jobs and people feel the weight of inflation here more than most places because we're in the top 10 in the nation for taxes on the middle class. 
Gretchen Whitmer's had time and time again opportunity to reduce taxes on the middle class, and she's vetoed every single one. She talks about me saying that I want to re re reduce the income, personal income tax and phase out the personal income tax and tries to link that to somehow I'm going to end up giving money to corporations. The fact of the matter is she's the one who's given money to corporations over putting money back into the pockets of the people. We will make sure that our schools come back, that our kids have tutors, that we're focused on the basics of reading, writing, and math, that we have safe communities for children to live in, and that we are partners to our job creators in putting money back in the pockets of our middle-class families. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to share with our audience before we say goodbye? You know, I just want people to know that it is really important that we get as many people out to vote on November 8th as possible. Make sure you get your friends. Make sure people understand what the proposals are on the ballot. Make sure everybody gets out to those voting booths. The more people we have voting, the higher the numbers, the better the outcome will be. Where can people go, Tudor, to find more information about your campaign? Check us out at TudorDixon.com. It's T-U-D-O-R-D-I-X-O-N.com. And any help you can provide, as you mentioned, the Democrats have a lot of money, so $10, $20. If you can donate, we can make sure we remove one more Democrat from moving on to higher office. All right, good to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we're watching the race closely and wish you well, all right? Take care. Thank you so much. You bet. That's Tudor Dixon. We'll get some thoughts from you guys on that conversation in a moment. But first... I mean, she just gave you some of those economic numbers, right? These are unprecedented times. Bang. Yes. So make sure before you go in to the real estate market, you might be looking to flee a state like Michigan if Wichmer wins another term. So anywhere you're trying to get away, any anywhere you're trying to get away from or get away to, we can help you find an agent with a fully vetted track record of success to help you navigate a very convoluted process. I mean, right now you're looking at mortgage interest that's 85% higher than it was when Joe Biden took over in terms of interest rates. So uh, make sure it's never been more important than right now to make sure you've got one of our preferred agents. And a lot of times they come from this audience. So they share your value system. Just go to realestateagentsitrust.com, provide us with some basic info, and then our team will make an introduction to one of our preferred agents in your town or the town you want to get to to get you to the end of what can be a complicated process, even when the economy is good. Realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, some feedback on the conversation we just had with Tudor Dixon. Gentlemen, what'd you think? Well, I think there might be, this might be the point in the campaign when you are looking across the board and you're seeing uh, polling at other places, including the state of Oregon that might swing a gubernatorial race, and you are Tudor Dixon and you uh, have done well in a debate as nice as she came across here i think she's capable and shown that she's capable of showing an edge that people uh want you don't necessarily have to be uh carrie lake all the time but you have to be carrie lake some of the time and i, I think tudor dixon's um capable and willing to go there the issue seems to me is that with all of these issues on the table and so many of them are winning issues and you still haven't taken the lead uh finding the level of confidence in the magic bullets which is why you spent the lion's share of your uh final time there suggesting two to her um I, I i think that that i get the feeling that that's there's a frustration 
there in Michigan, based on everything you've told me, you have birdies, you've talked to people over there, that why is this not easier? You know, I've got another, actually, our quarterly stand-up Michigan board meeting is actually today. Now that I mentioned it, i got to remember that for later today. And I got a text from, let me find it here, from uh, one of our board members with an update on where things are at. And um, uh, I don't want to say too much because some of it's private. I'll go with this. This was what he, what he closed with. Quote, the momentum is building, but a tough road lies ahead yet. We are gaining some momentum, um, but uh, a tough road still lies ahead. That's the question. I mean, is it? Is there enough time? I, I think in this environment, there absolutely is enough time. But I, but I think that you have to be wise with that time. I, I think that, and again, I could be wrong, you know, Hey, I was a strategist on the presidential campaign that lost the last time we got our asses kicked by Trump. So, you know, what do I know? Right. Um, but in my view, a, there's a broad message. You've, if someone broadly wants to reject Gretchen Whitmer, They've already done that. The, the, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, because, because the economics are so um, devastating to so many families right now. You're, if you want to just broadly get rid of Gretchen Whitmer and, the, and throw the bums out, you're, in, you're, you're, you're already there. What you're, what, what you've, what, to me, what you've got to find is what's the, what's the issue? Like immigration was for Trump, Right. Trump ran because he didn't think Jeb Bush could win. And a lot of his um, initial messaging was about China and trade. Stuff that he governed on and felt very importantly, felt, you know, very, was very important, but it didn't resonate with voters. It was when he found this, when he scratched the itch that itched, that was itching, immigration. That's when this thing took off, right? And the environment is there for a Tudor Dixon, the question is, what is the one or two issues that scratches where they itch? And to me, like we saw the video which we referenced in the interview in our own backyard, all right? I mean, that, that's the most peaceful gathering of Christians and Muslims in America we've seen since before 9-11, mm-hmm. all right? And it was over one united front, and what was it? This smut in their schools, okay? Poisoning and polluting their children. And then the other issue is, can I even put my kid to school if you're going to tell me I have to poison and pollute them with your poisonous jab to get them to go? You see what I'm saying? Those are issues that expand the base of those you can sell. But maybe I'm wrong. I I could be wrong. You saw in the debates, um, I I watched a few clips. It was pretty clear that Whitmer was rattled when when Dixon was talking about her record on COVID and lockdowns. Mm -hmm. It was clear that she was rattled. And you know why she was rattled? Because it was indefensible. That was indefensible. Now, they try to make excuses, but it was so indefensible. You hear Dixon talking about the the paper that couldn't even obfuscate on behalf of the current governor up up there. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's indefensible. How much more indefensible is the, the smut, as she called it, in the schools? You have to capitalize on that. I'm a firm believer Firm believer, total agreement that, yeah, I mean, you don't don't let it go down to the last week, but the last couple of weeks, if you had a big infusion of cash and just completely, completely carpet bombed as many airwaves as you possibly could with that message, 
that could give you enough momentum, just enough momentum on election day, because it's clear, it is clear, whether it's for Whitmer's future political aspirations or whether this is just a Democrat spirit of the age case study. They're trying to make Michigan into little hell. Yeah. They're going to try to California your Michigan. They're trying to California, uh, Californianize uh, Michigan. And if they can do that to Michigan, they say, well, let's try it in Indiana. And if they can do it in Indiana, oh, well, maybe we can do that in Iowa. And then they think that, you know, the horses left the barn at that point. So, yes, this is this is they, they are setting up twenty three million dollars uh, just from the campaign alone. They are setting this up to be their kind of fortress. Like I said, a little hell in Michigan. Um, and if they can, if, if they just can find it within themselves and maybe get a little bit of help as well to capitalize on that one issue, it doesn't even have to be a couple, just that one issue, uh, associate Gretchen Whitmer, her middle name is now Groomer, just yes. for the last two weeks, yep. they can win this. See, if it's that obvious, though, is the problem... Why are we talking about it? Yeah, and they still can't take the lead. Is it because she said, I'm one of like four or five grassroots, we had nobody from the establishment, Correct. and we're yeah. all coming, and she said, they're coming rallying around me, and we respect what we need to do, but is it go back to that GOP establishment again, back there? How... how hard are they working to make this happen do they are they is this i don't know i'm not on the ground there i can't answer that question i'm not i'm not on the ground there but i think this is just a michigan problem i mean i saw doug mastriano uh attached to this uh, last week there in pennsylvania and i tweeted at him i said brother whatever remaining resources you have you don't have to keep reminding people they can't afford gas you don't have to keep reminding people they can't afford the grocery bill they already know this that's why uh, that's why you even have a chance to win this thing at all. Okay, what 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 you need is something that it's clear. It it's clear when you look at when even when you look at Trafalgar or Rasmus and the polling we trust. All right, generic Republicans are out polling what a lot of individual Republicans are doing. All right, so it's clear that there is some cell that there's another base of voters that they are looking for that just the economy sucks isn't enough for. And that's where I think there is an opportunity that has generational consequences in our favor in linking Democrats forever with this filth because it's coming from them and their voters and acolytes, if we're being honest. Unfortunately, these days, you don't have too many options to avoid spending money on and with a company or a service that just hates your guts, which is why when the rare opportunity to not do that presents itself, take full advantage of it. And one place where it does, thankfully, is with a product we all pretty much need to use these days. That's a mobile phone. Make the switch today to our friends over at Patriot Mobile. Chances are you'll get the same coverage you're getting right now because everybody pretty much uses the same coverage towers around the around the country but you'll now be doing business with a company that shares your values uh, funds your values uh, isn't trying to fund the defeat of your value system if you're a veteran or first responder let them know when you go to make the switch to patriot mobile they'll give you even bigger savings as a way of saying thank you for your service for the rest of us you can get a free activation with the code steve when you go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Use the promo code Steve. 
or you can go to 972-PATRIOT. Just call them there at 972-PATRIOT. And again, several of you have been asking, so let me reiterate. Uh, my first children's book, Why Thanksgiving, will be released now a week early. Sorry, the supply chains, man, are all over the place. Uh, but we were able to get it out earlier. This time, it actually, the craziness worked to our favor. It comes out next week. That's the book we featured at the top of the show in Theology Thursday. You can pre-order your copy right now over at Amazon.com. Why Thanksgiving comes out on Tuesday, so plenty of time for delivery before Thanksgiving. And with that, it's time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. Three hopefully good non-political questions because we need a a break every now and then, even on this show, from the demise and fall of Western civilization. Question number one. Not exactly a fun question, but it's uh, been in the sports news recently. What are the three, top three, worst examples of officiating you've ever seen in a football game at any level? Number one, Michigan, Ohio State, 2016 in Columbus. Yep, that was going to be one of mine. The the entire game. I mean, really just the entire game. Uh, I mean, you guys have known me for a long time. I don't complain and bitch and moan about officials or things of that nature. It's got to be blatant for me to just go full conspiracy. That was blatant. Uh, Number two, the Rams-Saints NFL playoff game. That was going to be on mine as well. Where the two officials are just looking at each other while a literal assault, like a physical assault, took place and no flag was called. That would be number two. Um, And this is always where I get to the final thing where I can think of so many options that... um, I'll let you guys go and then see if I can come up with what an obvious number three is. But those are the first two things that came to mind for me. Number three was just a couple of uh, weeks ago. I mean, that Chris Jones, and I, recency bias, maybe bias because it's my team. But I mean, how could it get any worse that that Chris Jones roughing the passer call on Derek Carr where he obviously braced himself? Oh, I yeah. mean, my my I, like, even if he hadn't braced himself, that's just it's called football. It's called football. Yeah. Um, so that's number three. Number two would be the Saints Rams game that you were just talking about as well. I mean, that was the reaction to that was a whole year of, hey, we can review pass interference calls now or you can challenge pass interference calls now and like one was won that entire season after that, which was just dumb. It was just dumb. And then number one uh, would have to be uh, the Michigan-Ohio State. Because I think it was just this offseason, I'm like, you you bring that up pretty regularly. Is it as bad as Steve is actually saying, or is this just Michigan fan coming out? It's it's bad. It's bad. What about you, Todd? Uh, at least half the time instant replay is used. <laughs> My man, there he is. That's one, two, and three. Just the use of instant replay in particular? Yeah. All right. You know what I'm going to do? Since you went there, you've inspired my number three. Lions, Bears, Calvin Johnson, the catch rule. Something we never even knew existed until that moment. Because you guys know my Detroit Lions only exist for two reasons. The 
the nut punching of their own fans and the clarification of obscure NFL rules and practices. Okay. So that was the first time that we had, we actually debated the completion of a catch on instant replay. And that essentially spawned the era of microscopic reviewing that has turned you into who you are right now when it comes to instant replay in particular, right? So I'm going to go with that. The catch, the the complete the catch, Lions, Bears, Calvin Johnson. What was that? Maybe 10, 12, 13 years ago. I'm, I'm going to say that's my number three because of what it, what it, it was an omen, what it hinted was, was still to come. Question number two, in honor of Anna's wedding coming up on Sunday, what is the most memorable wedding you've ever been to, other than your own, of course, and why was it memorable? (sighs) I'm going to let you take this one first, because I got to remember the weddings I've actually been to. It's not a lot. So I'm going to let you take this one first. Go ahead. I suppose... It's the... uh, There was one that took place in a large cathedral... Uh, in Minneapolis so just the that's a beautiful cathedral by the way yeah uh I I think that's it I mean I don't I haven't been to one that was just a OMG this was different this was crazy that reception was nuts what's your favorite thing about weddings least favorite thing about weddings this 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 question is not going where I thought it would where'd you think it would go some interesting story <laughs> something can you give me something yes i i think i've only been to like a a handful of weddings i don't think i've been to that many of them I mean, i'm sitting here racking my brain trying you to remember are, you I was are at blessed, yours. aren't you yes <laughs> I, I was I've, I've been to yours i think the last wedding i had been to and it was great so maybe i'll just vote for your wedding you know <laughs> it's like uh you know watching scotty grow Aaron came in here, just a ragtag, you know, uh, bachelor, and then watching him uh, take the the giant step into manhood. So I guess I'll go with that one. And I'm not sure I'd been to a wedding before yours since um, our good friends and our first small group's daughter got married, which was in 2013, and I remember it. Wow. Because they got married the Saturday of the Final Four and Michigan was in it. And Noah and I skipped the reception to go home and watch Michigan play Syracuse in the Final Four. That's how I remember it. That that was a cool wedding, too. It was at a barn out in rural Iowa that they had converted. And and I think it's a wedding business now. It wasn't at the time, I don't think. That was really cool, too. But, I mean, I've not been to a lot of weddings. I've been to a bunch, but it has been a while as well because we're just in that era between our own friends getting married yeah. and then our kids getting married yeah. and our friends kids getting married so man I, I you know thinking about this as well i'm like i, I don't have that. actually i do have a few weird memories uh, probably the one that is most memorable to me was uh it was the saturday before i got my mini cooper back when i was living up in minnesota and uh my car i just didn't trust me. it was in wisconsin it was in a barn in rural wisconsin a uh, beautiful beautiful place so I had to go with somebody who was in the wedding who had to go like eight, nine hours before the wedding. So I was just like in the barn, just like hanging out the entire day. All I was doing the entire day was just thumbing through my phone, looking at pictures of my new car that I was going to pick up in a few days and wishing that I you know, was there already. But probably, probably last year, I had given my buddy Jeff 
the dimensions of my suit coat that I wore for mm-hmm. my wedding to mm-hmm. be in his. And I had put on a few pounds. I Let's just say I was concentrating very, very hard not to lock my knees last year standing up at his wedding. So, uh, yeah. I think that. the thing for me is I moved away at uh, as a young adult. I moved away from where all my friends were growing up and came to Iowa. And so that that age in your 20s to early 30s okay. where your buddies would all get married and you'd go. I mean, I just, I lost track with all my old, you know, high school friends and everything of that nature. And so, and Amy's an only child and she moved about as much, if not more than me as an army brat, you know? So, you know, she didn't even go to a high school as long as I went to my high school in Michigan, which doesn't exist anymore, actually. So I think between those two factors, we just didn't have a lot of weddings to go to in our twenties and thirties. Didn't have a lot of you know when your peer group gets married. Actually, now that I think about it, the most the most memorable one is the one I met my wife at. Well, oh, there you yeah. go. I mean, this. Well, should we, should we met, rewind the tape? Maybe you, you met is, your wife at, at a wedding. Wow, I did. That is like that's I like did. a chick flick I, waiting I, to happen. I had right there. moved back from living Hallmark in, movies are true. Yes. <laughs> I had moved back from living out west, and uh, you're there as a bachelor, and of course you're thinking there might be. Uh, some women here, and you're watching the uh, Maids of Honor, uh, the uh, the, uh, c- the wedding party come down, and she was the Maid of Honor, and I knew instantly. I said, one way or the other, we're talking at the end of the night, and we were, and we were engaged uh, six months later. I, I was just, I was trying to think of that bells, might be, unique bells and dude, whistles, but... That might be the most Todd story that I have ever heard. <laughs> Death threats, getting police sicked on him in his school district... <laughs> You know, calling out people every day. That, that's probably the most Todd story that I have ever heard. Man, well done. I just knew. One way or the other. Pretty Walked badass. Up. I mean, it's pretty badass. Meet Tarzan, you Jane. <laughs> Take you back to my cave. Yes. Uh, you ready for question three? You bet. If you were trapped on a desert island. Oh, boy. With Colin Kaepernick. Oh, my gosh. Bubba Wallace. Oh, my gosh. And Sean King. And you were in charge and had to assign roles to them for setting up camp and surviving. Whom would you assign to which role and why do you think that that would, uh, you know, help you guys survive? So I've got Talcum X, which is one of my all-time favorite nicknames. All right. I've got Talcum X. I've got Colin Kaepernick. And who's the third one again? Uh, Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace. Back in the news this week. Okay. Um... I'm not going to put Bubba Wallace in charge of finding water because he sees a lot of mirages, <laughs> obviously. Sees things that just are not there. Okay. Uh, so um, I think I'd put Bubba Wallace in charge of figuring out transportation. Even if it was just, you know, trails, things of that nature. I'd put him in charge of, you know. Scouting. Scouting. Yeah. Getting around the island. Okay. Uh, I would put Talcum X on the beach because the sun would bounce off his albino white skin and give us the best opportunity to be spotted by a plane or a ship off in the distance who would see the glare. And then I'd, I'd actually, somewhere, there is still a dude 
who is a hell of an was a hell of an athlete, a leader of men as a quarterback, and can maybe still somewhat be relatable as a dude in Colin Kaepernick somewhere, somewhere, somewhere that person still exists. Okay. And, and so, you know, I would take advantage of, of those physical traits. He could hunt, he could gather, uh, you know, protection, weaponized protection. Somewhere in there is still a guy that was once just a regular dude who was a hell of an athlete. And so I would try to take advantage of that skill set. That's how I would do it. Uh, I would ask all of them, uh, as the uh, white man who has no business imposing anything on them, what they would like me to do for them. <laughs> and How may I serve thee? Yes. Bow to your sensei. And then, uh, based on that answer, I would know which one was prepared to be the most reasonable now that we were in a life and death situation and not in the ridiculous drunken uh fake victimhood utopia that they've lived in like who's still a real person so yeah yeah that's what i would find if i mean if one of them is still coming down with grievances you know then i know i mean this is it would be a test now see there's a glaring omission here if you're going to get stranded on a desert island, you better be prepared. That's why you better go to our friends over at Chase Medical. Oh, look at that. Did you like that segue? It's good. It's good. Make sure you've got your medical preparedness kit, like you got our friends at My Patriot Supply with your food preparedness kit. Now there is your medical preparedness kit as well, because you never know when the system may decide after decades and decades of recommending a, a medication as safe and effective that all of a sudden in the middle of a pandemic, they tell you it's not. You never know when they're. You never know when or how they will try to kill you next. So, whether it's amoxicillin from the family of penicillin, whether it's doxycycline, which is my penicillin alternative because I can't, I'm allergic to it. Uh, there's a stable here of reliable. Uh, useful, trusted antibiotics that you can make sure your family has at its ready should that supply chain. Remember, we're still, you know, we're still letting China make about 80% of our antibiotics. So who knows when that chain gets yanked. Make sure you're ready. Uh, go to Jace Medical, J as in Jeff, J-A-S-E, J-A-S-E, JaceMedical.com. A physician will evaluate your needs. The medication then dispensed by their licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It takes just a few minutes. JaceMedical.com. I think for me, I would put Colin Kaepernick in charge of inland hunting you don't i mean it's a desert island you don't know what kind of wild beasts might be out there and we know that colin kaepernick believes in doing something even if it costs you everything so i think i think we could rely on him i would put talcum x in charge of creating finding building shelter because he is an expert at pretending things are not what they actually are so we could all pretend together that the shelter shanty that we're living in is actually a a mansion Bubba Wallace I think there's many uses for him I think I would put him in charge of starting a fire I think I would put him in charge of, of starting a fire he's got a little bit of a temper as we saw did you see he tried to kill a guy yes um he's got a little bit of a temper so I just think get him rubbing some uh, pieces of wood together I, I think I think he'd have us uh, fired up. I think he'd have us fired up pretty quick. 
What do you think of that question? It, 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 it was not what I expected a question Good. to be. Good. I, I must admit, when I got up this morning and pondered how this day might go, I didn't anticipate I'd be asked, how would, what, what duties would I assign Talcum X on a deserted island? I must confess that was nowhere on my radar. I'm, I'm not sure whether to be disgusted or, frankly, proud. Maybe the answer is yes. All right, we're going to stick around and look at this new report that Todd's had a chance to study over 600 pages on Hunter Biden's laptop. We're going to put that together for today's overtime. For Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. For the rest of you, we are back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.